Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive in these challenging times. We will be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. Welcome to Helping Organizations Thrive. Uh, today on the show, I have Nancy Halpern. Uh, welcome, Nancy. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Wonderful. Uh, I know you're all the way from the US of A. Um, yes. So, <laughs> yes, indeed I am. I can't hide it any longer. I know, I know. And I mean, I'm sure some things will pop out as we talk today, because I was going to tell our, our listeners a little bit about you. You um, you diagnose and resolve political dysfunction in organizations, I may add. Uh, you are also a podcast host. Uh, you're a keynote speaker and you're a thought leader uh, of politics. Uh, so fascinating um words that are popping out of me there but before i i carry on I, and i always ask my uh, guests is what do you love about what you do well in fairness julian i did listen to a couple of your great podcasts and i heard you ask a guest <clears throat> what gets her out of bed in the morning so i heard you ask and i had a really great answer for you which is that <laughs> basically nothing gets me out of bed in the morning <laughs> until i've had like a pot of tea read three newspapers and kissed the dog but so i, I had to re-ask your question because <laughs> I, I was i had so prepared my answer um i guess the thing that um i'm passionate about it is probably several things that i'm sure interlink um i'm really passionate right now about the future of work I am deeply intrigued by how people thrive when they're put together in organizations. Mm-hmm. And um, I like complex problems. Um, and the reason I like complex problems is because they're simply, well, frankly, the more interesting. Um, I believe that solutions are kind of obvious when you figure out what the problem is. Figuring out the problem is the actual challenge. Um, And it excites me uh, to be able to see themes and patterns and then help Mm -hmm. someone because I've been able to see that theme and pattern and point out trying something that's small yet new and see if there's a result from it. So those are the things that really energize me, at least intellectually. Excellent. That's brilliant. And just, just picking up on that complex problems um, and, and I know this is what you are, you're about as well. Um, and we talk. I mentioned the word politics, mm. and, um, and and it can be seen certainly in an organisational context. And, and from my own personal experience, a sort of bad word. And uh, we know if you get the politics right, wrong, or approach it, it can have a real detrimental effect on people and also business results. Um, but I guess my question to you, and, and I've, you know, to be honest, have struggled with it in, in sort of my sort of journey in the corporate world, is how can we navigate the, the poli- political landscape and remain that sort of authentic uh, ourselves, but also keeping that integrity in place? Because I think it's, a, it's quite a challenge. Well, I felt it a challenge. Well, part of it is that we have forced ourselves into uh, – 
a binary choice, right? If I play politics, then I'm Machiavellian and I'm evil and I'm, you know, people who do that, um, mm. they do it because they're not smart enough to succeed on their own merits. Um, and, and so you create this no-win conflict between good and evil. So I, I think the first thing to do is to actually be uh, a little bit more expansive, frankly, and challenging with how you think about things. It's amazing to me how many things we think of as binary when truth is nothing is binary, right? Mm -hmm. Most things are a million different shades of some color. So that's one thing I would say. That's sort of where it begins. If you begin to think of internal organizational politics as a skill set, negotiation, Okay. Um, relationship building, uh, information sharing. Then you can say, well, negotiation is not necessarily a bad thing. Actually, it's a necessary thing. You're negotiating with your kids about eating broccoli for dinner, for God's sake, right? I mean, negotiation is, is in our life all the time. But what's the intention behind that negotiation? Mm -hmm. My intention is to, um, forgive me, to screw you over so you get nothing and I get everything, then I would say that's not a very great intention. If my intention is to reach a fair uh, negotiation result, where at least we may both get something we want, or more importantly, Julian, it serves the business, right? It's, it's like this notion of competition, right? Competition will not go away because Politics is basically the competition for scarce resources and resources are always scarce. But if I'm competing in service to myself, then what I really care about is conquest. And that's how people think about politics. But if I'm competing in service to something that you and I both belong to, mm -hmm. so competing for us against maybe a competitor out there in the industry, that's a good thing. And then I need to use all those political skills to be able to advance an agenda that really benefits more than one person. I really like that definition, and it's it's getting that different perspective on what politics is. And I guess is it because the word politics becomes from the outside of an organisation within the sort of governmental landscape, and we all have a little bit of a dim view on politicians. And when somebody's, you know, deemed as very good at politics, they're deemed as a politician in an organisation, they are then filtered or looked upon as a politician would be. And, and I'm not saying all politicians are viewed in a negative way, but there's a general murmur of negativity of a politician. Do you think that's crept in or in terms of how people view it and why they view it in such a negative way? Definitely. You know, I think that it's been conflated with bad governance. And there's a difference. You know, I don't work with politicians. I, I work with politics within organizations, so things that are structural. So I'll, I'll give you an example for how I think it's become, sadly, you know, entwined in this ball of negativity. Uh, if you ask people, have you ever worked for an organization that wasn't political? I, and I've done this, I've surveyed populations. 96% of respondents will say, I have never worked for an organization that wasn't political. But then if you try to diagnose, well, what makes it political? They'll point to mm, 
probably a few bad actors say, well, that person's very political. You know, he's really political. She's really political. But if you get rid of them, the organization isn't unpolitical anymore. So, you know, sadly, this is just lazy cognition. I, mm-hmm. I, I believe, right, that we've, you know, poor Machiavelli got, you know, he's a sort of, you could sort of point your finger and say, well, it's, it's sort of his fault. But when you think about it, anything that organizes people has politics. I mean, a cricket club has politics in it, right? Or every family has politics. You don't, you don't have family politics only when you gather around the table for Christmas or Thanksgiving. It's not like you have politics once a year at dinner. You know, people are always sort of, yeah, they're jockeying for listen to me or they want something from someone. It's not evil. It's, it doesn't have to be evil. It's just natural. So, you know, if you go back, I can't remember the source of the word. I know it's Greek, but it is sadly, it's government that's gotten conflated with it. Mm-hmm. And I guess having a view on it because obviously the word politics just again conjures up unfortunately a negative um connotation it's and you talked about you know having the right intentions having good skills uh, to negotiate to build relationships to deliver what the outcomes you want to achieve or achieve the the mission of the, of the business um that to me is just great leadership and you know if you're a great leader you and you've got the right intentions and you know because that's 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 important and in terms of your integrity what you're trying to achieve it's not all about you it's about the the organization and the people um that's just great leadership isn't it and that's i guess more the re i'm trying to reframe in my own head here because um, right because i i think that's more helpful as opposed to you need to because i've been told you need to be more political <laughs> so um yeah. well i i guess i would I would throw a couple of factoids um, across the virtual line uh, back yeah. a volley. Um, the first is I don't know a lot of I don't know a lot of great leaders. I know some good leaders. I know many good leaders. There are very few great leaders, and the definition of great leadership changes with the context and with the organization. Right? COVID certainly has pointed that out. Um, the notion of uh, being more political. I break it into four different dimensions and 27 behaviors. Right? So I've gone out to try to measure what that means. Four dimensions and 27 behaviors. Right. And so wow. just um, what does you, you are you are incredibly curious and analytical and precise, Nancy. I am. I am actually a secret geek. Don't let the lipstick fool you. Deep inside, there's like this little statistician just kind of trying to claw her way out. Um, my favorite dimension because it speaks to that game. You gotta be better at the game. You gotta be more political. My favorite dimension is reading the chessboard. Now, chess isn't thought of as an evil game. You may be able to play it in an evil, manipulative way, but that's typically just called clever. That's not called evil. Yet somehow when it involves other people, as you say, there's this distaste and discomfort with it. Mm. But reading the chessboard means constantly gathering information, analyzing it, looking at who gets listened to, looking at what what projects um, get approved, because things happen. And if you're not playing that game or watching, you're not just losing out 
for your career. Just put that aside for a minute because that is very self-focused. If you are part of a leadership team and you're not aligning around a common goal, the business will suffer because people aren't sharing information openly or people are more concerned about what they'd have to sacrifice in their own function or look at incentive systems in organizations and competency models in organizations. All our HR listeners out there, there's a huge opportunity to make competency models not as, forgive me, toothless as I think they've often been. They're often, frankly, a little anandine, you know, and, and incentive systems. Are you really incentivizing the behaviors you want? So I do, this is a long way to say, I know the word political makes people deeply uncomfortable. Mm. But I would also say that the term emotional intelligence, EQ, it's only 30 years old. No one ever used the word emotional with the word intelligence before. Mm. They were actually thought to be two different things. And, and so there is something to think about, about what happens when people interact with each other and in, in not wanting to deal with it or thinking it's horrible. Are we helping ourselves? And I don't think we are. No, and I, and I guess just honestly, now you have your your own business, um, yes, and and all what you've I guess learned um, through you consulting and coaching uh, organizations. If you were take you back to when you were like I don't know in your first leadership position, um, whenever that was, I was uh, five. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you were actually. No, I know. No, no, no. <laughs> um, um, and somebody said to you, "Oh, sorry, you were telling other leaders, or you were telling other emerging mm -hmm. leaders, would you tell them to get more political? Or would you just frame it in the way you're framing it now? Um, you know, rather than you know, I've had because I, I, I've been told, and we've all probably been told, you need to get more political about this. We're a political organization." You need to play the politics. Would you give counsel in that context? What sort of words would you use or would you use the same words or how would you frame it? Because I think that'd be really helpful because I think for me, it does need to be a, a reframe. I, I agree politics is there, but I think there needs to be a reframe. And I think you're help, helping me and I'm hoping you're helping my listeners as well. I hope so. Um, create a, a reframe on it that's a bit more, it's a lot more positive and a lot more embracing and a lot more, this is like really good, great, good to great leadership. So let's put the word politics aside for a minute because we all get hung up on the word itself. Mm. I would say you need to be emotionally more strategic. Mm. And, you know, but that does lead me down the path of, I, I and I'm answering your question because I actually had my first leadership job uh, role. I was executive director when I was 26 years old and I was completely underqualified. Um, and so I do look back on that a lot about how many things I didn't do or I did certainly wrong. Um, I will. I was leading a workshop at a biotech on uh, politics and power, and it was for women, actually. And one woman in the group, a participant, said, but this all sounds so manipulative, which I think is part of our discomfort with it. Mm. Um, and I, I said to her, without thinking, well, when men do it, it's called strategic. So, you know, just replace the word, if you want, with strategic about human behavior. You know, in my first leadership job, I would have said to myself, 
now, if I could talk to myself then, when I had no of this, no hair of this kind, um, do you really know where the do you know where the power really lies in the organization? Who really has influence over um, how decisions are made? Because the people who may appear to have the power may not actually have the power. You know, there's so much work that's been done, really interesting work. On my own podcast, I had Deb Grunfeld, who is a professor at Stanford Business School, and just published a book about power. Um, you can't talk about how organizations work without talking about power. I mean, use the family as a metaphor. There's a matriarch, there's a patriarch. You know, there's the crazy uncle everyone dismisses. You know, there's the powerful grandmother everybody's afraid of, right? These are power dynamics. And yet we just accept it. But somehow when it comes to work, we have duped ourselves into believing that it's a continuation of the meritocracy we know from school. And Mm -hmm. if it isn't, that's bad. It's not bad. It just is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that would be the advice I would give myself looking back to know the limits of my power, the places where I could extend my soft power. People confuse role with power, mm. right? Is that person speaking, you know, like from the office of the CEO? Well, actually it's also Bob talking, right? But because it's typically a Bob and not a Barbara, but what people hear is, you know, the office of the CEO. Well, but do those messages really move people? Do people really want to follow him? Um, so I, I think I've thrown out a lot of different answers to your question, um, because I think once you put the word away, everyone is comfortable with what I'm describing. And I agree. And I, and I like that emotional, be emotionally strategic, strategic, which is how it goes back to your, you know, the chess game as well, which is being, that's a strategic, a strategic game, in fact. So it's having that mindset of thinking, I've got this thing to deliver. How do I, who do I need to involve? Who do I need to sort of stakeholders keep in mind? How do I need to communicate? Who do I need to galvanize? Who do I need to have those one-to-one conversations? Pre all that. It's and, it, and it's being very clear in, in your intent and making sure that intent obviously is obviously for the purpose. In, of- in, in fact, I, I just want to throw out a little factoid for you and your listeners, which mm. is there was an enormous amount of academic research on workplace politics in the late 1980s, <clears throat> and all of a sudden it stopped. I'd say probably by the early 90s, uh, 95. And so I asked a couple of business school professors um, at Yale, why? Like, where did it go? And they said, well, you know, business school professors like to make their extra income consultant. And the word political scared everyone off, potential clients so much, they just stripped it away and used the word influence. And that's where the whole influence industry was born. Mm. Um, you know, and I find that very interesting because all they did was change the color. They didn't change the content. And, you know, haven't we made any progress since the 80s? I mean, maybe looking at the political situation, the answer is no. <laughs> We've got worse. But I, I like to think when it comes to all the revolutions that have happened at work, yeah. right, from um, equity and inclusion to Me Too to Virtual First to open plan, to, you know, the workplace is evolving in so many ways. And that perhaps, uh, you know, EQ, um, and that perhaps uh, it will evolve in this way too. Well, I think so. I mean, I think a whole host of stuff is evolving this year at a, at a rate that's, um, 
we've never experienced before, I think, you know, you know, whether you look at, you know, diversity and inclusion is just completely, it's always been on the agenda for the last number of years, but actually it's just gone more to the forefront with all what's happened outside of organizations um, but that were obviously influenced by that. Um, working from home, the whole trust factor, well, I have to send my, my people home, therefore I have to trust and and it's created a trust because they've realized they can do it. Um, I don't need to come in every day, I don't need to have a commute, I can have flexible working, therefore I can liberate and help with my my family commitments as well and therefore the work-life balance. Started. So there's some dynamics, some positive dynamics I think are coming through as well. Totally. And starting to generate that sense of of change uh, if we embrace it, um, and just going back to the emotional strategic approach, um, which I, I really like, um, and making sure that, and it all, and it goes to me, it's, it's coupling that with intention. Mm. And that's that's where when you see somebody acting in a way that maybe I think may deemed as being manipulative or or being political is because we're we're sensing an intention that's not not either for the business or it's just a very egocentric intention. Or we're, or we're assuming it. Or we're assuming it, yes. Yeah. And I think that's actually what happens most of the time. Mm. Because you know, we assume intent. We make an observation, we lead to evaluation. You may find this kind of odd, but I've been deeply influenced in my thinking on this work by Buddhism and meditation, um, which most people would not combine with, you know, this political conversation we're having. But, you know, there's a lot of theories that, and one of them is that we tend to conflate observation from evaluation. You know, observation, um, you know, that person uh, volunteered to do that job. Evaluation, they did it because they're kissing up to the boss. Well, maybe they did it because they're just interested in it, or maybe they did it because they're bored, or maybe they did it because um, they know if they did it, they'll learn a new skill. I mean, those are also all possibilities. But being humans, um, we like to take shortcuts. And uh, they're not always the wisest. They're not always the, 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 the most well-informed shortcuts. So sorry to jump in about this intention. But, you know, the truth is, do you really know someone's intention? And then that's where we need to, I guess, you know, ensure we're observing from either from different perspectives or in communication with that individual. Yes. The other thing I've, I've noticed also, um, which it goes beyond just our natural observations from our eyes and ears and everything else is we can subconsciously sense an intent. And, um, and, and just going back to like, if you're trying to sell something to you, for example, if all I'm interested is getting money off you for my service, you will sense that overrun, yes. despite how I mask it and present it in a, f a great way. But if my intent is to help Nancy in a way that's beneficial for, for your business or whatever it may be, yes, I'll get a payment at some point, but if my intent, you will feel that. And that's the same, I think, when we're, we're engaging with people. And it's a thing you can't, you can't see it. You just sense an intent that is all they're interested is getting what they want from me and then they're just discarding me. And I guess that's that challenge sometimes where people then feel they're just being egocentric about things and just getting on with it, what they want. And yeah, you know, I think this is where experience is invaluable because if you've been sold before, 
then you have an informed gut. I think where our instincts get us into trouble is where we've had no experience with it or where we've created a story so we can reshape experience to fit the story we want it to reflect. Mm. But it, but over time, you're right. Your internal radar will pick that up. If you've had trustworthy experiences with people before who sound like this new person, I mean, beginning from a place of assuming good intent is a huge political skill, I think. Right. Because it creates possibilities. Right? Yes. Nothing in my work is about um, is about being a, 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 a bad player in a dysfunctional organization. Why would I want to teach that? Right. I mean, when you ask me what gets me passionate, I've seen too many fabulous, good hearted, kind, fiercely intelligent people leave organizations or not succeed within the organization, or be stuck in the organization. Mm. And that's a shame. I mean, that that actually was hurt. And I, this happened to me. I mean, maybe I'm not so good or intelligent necessarily as they are, but, but, but I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like to have potential that you desperately want to add, or value you want to add, and not understanding why it isn't happening. Um, and so when people say you need to be more political, I think what they're really saying is you need to be more emotionally strategic. You're having an emotional reaction rather yeah. than being analytical about what's happening with people mm. in the organization. And so that combination of emotional strategy and analysis, I think that's a political skill. But maybe I need to rename it. If I could ever find one little word that described it, I would. Um, but I don't want good people to fail. I want them to succeed. Yeah, no, and it, and it's I, I, again, it's that intent having that when you observe something, you you're thinking they they've got the good of me or the good of the organization, as opposed to assuming, and the negative as it pose. I know we do pick it up as you say, our innate, our experience that senses something not quite as it should be, um, but it's working back to this uh, being taking the emotion and that sort of logic, the strategic side of things combining it with obviously almost like the eq side of things isn't it and how you handle people but but in a strategic sense as well um just before we we, we come to a, a close um is there any sort of one i don't well one tip strategy thought that you could leave our listeners with that would just help them to a takeaway of, of how to navigate this sort of a um to be more emotional strategic, I'm going to say the word this afternoon, but... Um, <laughs> I know what yeah. you mean. Yes. Um, so is there any one thing you, you've learned or experienced or observed in your your work that would be like, this is what I would encourage you to do? If I had to think of one that is practical that your listeners could do immediately, I would say generate, force yourself to generate at least two other explanations for something you've seen or heard mm. other than the one that you believe. Because you see, once you reach a conclusion, I'm not saying you shouldn't reach a conclusion. I mean, we couldn't yeah. continue breathing if we didn't reach conclusions, but the minute you reach a conclusion, you're done. There's no more oxygen. A conclusion mm. is a period at the end of the sentence and smart people tend to be not just quick, but also, um, feel very confirmed in their own powers of um, uh, conclusion, right? Mm -hmm. So generate two 
totally different scenarios and expand your thinking about it and then see and then and then test market those what if those were true if you if you pick a different starting point you know think of conclusions as a starting point in a way right instead of an end what else would roll out from that you'd have a completely different storyline so remember that evaluations are theories they're not facts so yeah. challenge yourself to evaluate the same observation yeah, um, I think that we just assume that our evaluation is a fact because we think it. Mm -hmm. uh, or, frankly, we spend a lot of time focusing on the why. Why is someone acting this way? Well, the truth is you'll never know why. How could you? I don't even know why I act the way. I don't know why my computer froze my image, right? Why's or frankly, this is a little extreme. I don't totally believe in it, but I'm going to say it anyway just for fun. Why's are often a waste of time. <laughs> really what's more important I think is what's going on and what's the impact of it because that gives you more agency to do different things and do things differently that's true and, and it's also you know we we know that our perspective is not the truth it's our own truth it's our own reality it's not it's not the truth um, and that's why having the different narratives like you said I think that's really helpful I mean I encourage people in, in a trying to think maybe more resilience where you see a problem, but looking for the good in every circumstance. Um, so if you see something that is deemed from your perspective as being not very nice, actually try and look for the good in that context, just like you're saying, two different narratives. It broadens your mind and, and it also keeps us a little bit more humble rather than assuming, as you say, our smartness and going, I know why they're doing that. No, you don't know that. No, you really don't. You don't have, no. unless you ask them. And sometimes no. people don't even know. I'm so glad I'm back visually. That was really weird. Um, <laughs> I also have one other really practical suggestion for your listeners when it comes to the uh, political skills. And I, I, I sort of call it, you know, Nancy's rule of three. And, and here's what it is. The first time something happens, just forget about it. Let it go. The second time it happens, make a little mental note like, oh, that's interesting. That's happened before. Mm -hmm. The third time it happens, you have a pattern and you'll need to make a decision about that pattern. Mm -hmm. Do you address it? Do you ignore it? You know, if you ignore it, what's the cost? If you address it, what's the best way to address it? Um, but I love patterns and themes. I guess that's part of why I love data. Um, but a lot of us put a lot of energy into one-offs. And then, you know, the problem is if all you have is a hammer, everything you see is a nail. So you just keep like reliving it, reliving it, reliving it. Well, that's not very productive or helpful, is it? So let, you know, let it go the first time, but, but forget about it. But then just see, see what happens. That's really helpful. That is really Good. helpful. I like Good. that. And, that's and um, I do thank you for coming on the show and, uh, I appreciate your 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 insights, your passion, your energy uh, for this. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to sort of reach out to you? Well, please follow me on LinkedIn, uh, Nancy Halpern. My website, getpoliticaliq.com, has an option to subscribe to my newsletter. My podcast is Get Political IQ, and I'd love for you to listen to episodes of which Julie and I hope you will be on uh, in the future because it was so gracious of you to invite me to converse with you today, and I'd love to con continue the conversation. Brilliant. I do thank you for your time. and um, Thank yeah, you for your you next time. 
All right. If you like this episode, then please do subscribe, do share with your friends, and do check out other episodes in the series. If you're looking for support and help in your organization to create a resilient culture, then please do get in contact with me on julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.